Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Wow, what powerful worship. Thank you, Carrie. Worship team, that's just magnificent. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do exalt you. As high above every other name, we exalt you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we praise your name this morning. We've gathered to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. And Father, our hearts are focused on you now, Father. So help us as we continue to study your word, the word that you've given us for our edification, for our spiritual growth. It's our manna. It's the word of life. And so, Father, help us as we open up your word this morning. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Change our lives. For you are worthy of praise, and we give you all the honor and glory and praise for us in Christ's name that we give you glory and pray for us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Those of you that made your uh, New Year's resolution to attend church more, uh, you've had a good start. You're here first Sunday of the year, so congratulations. Uh, just keep it up. <laughs> you got 51 more to go. Uh, so we're glad that you're here. And I want to just go on in uh, to, to, to continue the praise. That was just so powerful. And what I want, uh, appreciate Pastor Matt and him uh, inviting me to uh, to share uh, today and uh, just thankful for Pastor Matt and his family and just pray for them uh, that having a Sabbath uh, there. And so uh, they're looking forward to being back uh, to be with you. So I just appreciate uh, his trust in me to share God's word uh, with uh, the people of God. And so we're going to look uh, when he asked me about three weeks ago, a month or so ago, just wondering, you know, the Lord, you know, led me right to what I needed to to, to speak about going, you know, after, after Christmas, going into a new year, first Sunday of a new year. What uh, is it that we as a church need to hear? What is it we as a church need to do? What should be our priority? What should we focus on? If we got down to, you know, brass tacks, the fundamentals of who we are as a church and what we're supposed to do, I was led to say we need a, a great commitment to the Great Commission. And so that's the title uh, of this message. And so if you've got your Bibles, Go ahead and uh, the Great Commission we're going to look at is in Matthew 28, uh, 16 uh, through the end of the chapter. Uh, and then also the Great Commandment, which is Matthew uh, 22, uh, the latter verses uh, of that uh, chapter that we're going to that we're going to look at. And so as the new year approaches is looking at 2022, you know, what should be our focus? What should be that we're going to accomplish? Not a New Year's resolution, but a, a, a commitment or a recommitment to doing what we're supposed to be doing as a church anyway, and as believers, is to be obedient uh, to the Great uh, Commission. Uh, Rick Warren, when he, uh, years ago, you know, back in the 90s, I think, when, when he wrote Purpose Driven uh, Church, he's pastor at Saddleback Community Church out in California. He made a statement in that, in Purpose Driven uh, Church. He said, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. And that's a powerful statement. But the thing is, is the church, are we as believers, or do we have that commitment to the great commandment and the great commission? Uh, George Barna, back in uh, 2018, he did a study 
of, of church attenders, people that actually go to church about the Great Commission. And, uh, and it's surprising to find out, and it really shocked me when I first read uh, this report, that according to this study that you know, regular church attenders don't know what the Great Commission is or even where it is in the Bible. Does that surprise you? Does that shock you? It, it should. I mean, as believers, church attenders, that says a lot about the church in general, the universal church. But he found out the, the main point there, 51% of churchgoers don't know of the Great Commission. Over half of church attenders that were surveyed didn't know about the Great Commission, where it was, what it was, or where it was found in the Bible. When they asked if they had previously heard of the Great Commission, Half of them, you know, made that response, say they, they do not know the term Great Commission. 17% of them said they were actually familiar uh, with the phrase, but didn't know where it was uh, in Scripture. 25%, uh, a quarter uh, of the church attenders that were surveyed, it did ring a bell, but they, you know, they, they weren't sure what it was or where it was found. 6%. 6% of the churchgoers simply were not sure whether they have heard the term, the Great Commission. Now, what does this say about us as a church, us as believers, us as burnt hickory? Do we know what the Great Commission is? And if we know it, are we being obedient to it? Do you know where it is in Scripture? And so I want to focus on our first part, uh, focus on the Great Commission and then we'll look at the great commandment uh, on that. But before uh, we do that, I want to read the Great Commission to you in Matthew 28 uh, version. Uh, Mark and Luke and uh, Acts also have a version of the Great Commission, but this was predominantly the one that's known as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And just before that, Matthew 22, a couple of chapters over, you want to flip over there, Matthew 22, uh, verses 35 through 40 is what's known as the great commandment. So Matthew 22, beginning in verse 25, and one of them, an expert of the law, asked a question to test and teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to them, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So I'd say as we go, I would agree with Pastor Rick Warren with a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission we're to be the church, not to grow a great church. Well, that's actually what we're supposed to be, is to be a strong, healthy church with that commitment 
uh, to Christ and his commands. But in a little bit of history of the Great Commission, you look in your Bible, probably Matthew 28, it's probably got the Great Commission written uh, on top uh, of that. It didn't come that way. You know, it wasn't originally uh, in there or in scriptures. It wasn't referred to uh, till the mid 19th century, 1800s, mid 1800s with a great missionary uh, to China, James Hudson uh, Taylor made that term uh, popular uh, in that. And he said, uh, Hudson Taylor said this, he said, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 is not simply one item on a list of suggested activities. The words of Jesus are the great commission. And so that phrase tended to stick. And that's what we know as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And a great quote from Hudson Taylor is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. It's not just an option to be considered. That's a, a good teaching from Jesus. We can consider that. It's a command to be obeyed. And so breaking down the Great Commission, Matthew 28, a little bit further before this, the setting of this is, is uh, Jesus is gathered with his followers, with his disciples. It's after the resurrection, about 40 days uh, after the resurrection, and they've gathered uh, here on a hill, uh, on a mountainside, and it's just before Jesus ascends into heaven. So Jesus has these uh, followers uh, gathered and these are basically his last words that physically he's going to say to them. And usually folks, you know, the last words are important. We tend to remember folks' last words and the significance of that. And so here it says, you know, these people had gathered about 500 people, the, the original uh, disciples and the other ones that have followed and they had gathered together. It said they worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him. Here, the resurrected Christ. You know, this is a Jewish culture there, the, pro, the promised Messiah. You know, he, he had been crucified, died, was buried, and raised again on the third day according to scriptures and according to prophecy uh, that was fulfilled. But still, and here he was, the resurrected Christ appearing to them, but some still doubted. How about you this morning? We just worship the Christ, the son of the living God. Great worship, lifting high the name of Jesus. But do you doubt your relationship with him? Do you actually know the Jesus that we sing to? Are you doubting? And so here they, they, they doubted, some of them uh, doubted. And so we're still celebrating, you know, we just celebrated uh, Christmas uh, and New Year's and, uh, and, and Jesus' birth, but we also celebrate uh, his death, his burial, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection and the hope that gives us. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, three through six is, is the whole story of our faith. It's not just based on the birth of Christ that we just celebrated, but 1 Corinthians 15, three through six, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day, according to scripture, and that he appeared to all the apostles and then to more than 500 people. And here Paul, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, those 500 people is who he's referring to most likely to this group that's gathered here for this great commission, these last words of Christ there. And so, so if, if it's a great commission, and it's what we're supposed to do. It's the great command, really. There's a great commandment. So this is a command that Jesus 
left for us. What does a commission, what does the term commission mean? What did Hudson Taylor mean by that? This is the great commission. A commission, a commission is an authorization to perform prescribed acts on behalf of another. It's a task entrusted uh, to one as an agent of, one, of another. So here Jesus has given us authority. He's given us the power to do what he's commanded us to do. We're to act on his behalf. He's fixing to leave the earthly body. He's still Lord. He's still Messiah. He's still King of Kings. But this is what he wants us to do as a church is the grace. We're acting on his authority and under his uh, uh, command and instructions, his desire for what he wants us to do as believers, as followers, and what he wants us to be and do as the church, the body of Christ, the assembled ones, the gathering of believers is who we are this morning. We're the church, the ecclesia, the gathered ones. That's what we're supposed to do is be obedient to the great commission. So I'm going to go through, uh, sort of break down the great commission in a little bit different uh, way. And just one warning on your notes uh, there, there's a section un under making disciples that I moved uh, last minute on our production and communication to guys yesterday morning, but they left, they left it in the middle. So that's going to be the last four uh, takeaways. So when I skip over that part, uh, and the blanks. I'm not leaving it out. I just moved it to the end. So I don't want you to freak out uh, about that. And so the first thing I want to look at is the introduction and sort of the follow-up, the conclusion of the Great Commission, the beginning uh, and the end phrases uh, on here. And all the phrases start with P, so that hopefully it'll be easy to, remem to remember and help you fill in the blanks uh, a little bit more. But the first, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. This is the preeminence of Christ. It starts with the preeminence, the preeminence of Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth is being given to me. Preeminence, that word is a fact of surpassing all others, is superior. There's nothing else more important. There's nothing else higher uh, on that. And Jesus is the supreme Christ. There's nothing else ahead of him. He's preeminent in all things. So the last four weeks, five weeks, we've been getting ready uh, for Christmas, celebrating uh, Christmas. And Pastor Matt's uh, messages on Isaiah 9, where we've celebrated and worshiped Jesus as the wonderful counsel of the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, uh, the mighty God. We just sang, sang about the holiness of Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We just sang the great I am, that Jesus is the great I am. And that's based on the gospel of John. There are seven I am statements that Jesus says about himself uh, in John. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then I'm the true vine. So Jesus is supreme. Jesus has all authority. He is preeminent above all things. Colossians 3, 15 through 20 talks about the supremacy of Christ. In verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the body, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is supreme. Jesus preeminent. All authority has been given to him by God the Father. So Christ is preeminent. There's other, uh, and, so, and so all authority, so the supremacy, we could go on and on, have a whole sermon on the preeminence of Christ. And so that's how he starts off with, so all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Listen to what I'm about to say. This is what I want you to do. So listen up. And then he closes it, skipping over the meat. We'll get back to that uh, in just a minute. Then he says, uh, he talks about the presence of Christ, the promised presence of Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So here the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28, we have the promised presence of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. In Matthew 1, Getting ready for Christmas, we see that he is Emmanuel, God with us. The beginning and the end is, is bracketed, begins and ends with Jesus being present, God with us. Matthew 1, 20 through 23 says, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is the Holy Spirit, as of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translated is God with us. So Jesus is with us. He's promised his presence uh, with us. So Matthew begins and ends with the promise of Emmanuel, the promise of his presence and power, not just at Christmas, but all year long, not just waiting until Easter to celebrate that, but every week, every Sunday, we promise he's promised his presence until the end of the age until the second coming. And so all the scriptures that uh, promise the presence of God, the presence of Christ in Ezekiel, the name for God uh, in Ezekiel is the Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah, which is God is there. God is there. So God is there in the past. He's here in the present. He's already there in the future. So we, we have the presence of God that's being uh, promised. Uh, Psalm 118, 6 through 7 says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Deuteronomy 31, 8 uh, says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He's already there. It's the Lord that goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Hebrews 13, five through six says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then Isaiah 41, 10, powerful. 
powerful from the prophet Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So you get the picture? God's promised his presence. Scripture promises his presence. Jesus has promised his presence. Fear not. The Lord is with you. He will not leave us or forsake us. Isaiah 41, 10. We're to fear not because God is with you. Fear not. God is your God. Fear not. God will strengthen you. Fear not. God will help you. And fear not, God will uphold you. So not a, no matter what you've gone through, or no matter how far that you think you've walked away from God, Jesus has promised his presence. He said, I'm with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You've just got to recognize the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in your life. So with those frameworks of, of, of the preeminence of Christ, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The conclusion of that sentence, the promised presence of Christ, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's, that's the brackets, or that's the framework of that, the meat of it. And you need to pay attention because this is what Christ wanted us to hear and to do because he has all authority and because he's promised his presence to help us to do what he's commanded us to do. So the purpose of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is to make disciples. That's the purpose. It's not the going. It's not the baptizing. It's not the teaching. The purpose, the command of the Great Commission is to make disciples. It says, go and make disciples, verse 19, of all nations. You know, we'll get to the rest of it in just a minute. So that's the purpose. That's the command is to make disciples. The Greek and grammar here are helpful in fully understanding the Great Commission here. The main verb to make disciples uh, is, is, is the command of that uh, verse. Uh, the Greek word uh, for make disciples or to be a disciple is metateu, metatua. And that's, man, that's hard to say with a, with a Southern accent. I may not be pronouncing it right, but matatua, it means to make disciples, to be a disciple, to instruct with the purpose of becoming attached to the leader. So we're to be disciples of Christ. And we make disciples, we're not making disciples of ourselves. We're not making disciples of Pastor Matt or any of the other pastors or any other teacher that you respect. We're making disciples and followers of Christ. And so the purpose uh, of making disciples. Pastor Matt shared uh, in his message when we are a series on October 31st that we're disciple making disciples. And Pastor Matt says the ultimate goal for us as believers is to be a true disciple of Christ. To be a true disciple of Christ. And Pastor Matt says true disciples are disciple making disciples. That's great commission. True disciples are great commission disciples. So the purpose never changes or ends. The purpose, the command of the Great Commission is where to make disciples. If we're not making disciples in our individual lives as Christians or as a church, if we're not making disciples, followers of Christ that are growing and maturing and serving and making disciples, we have been disobedient to the Great Commission. If we're not growing, if we're not making disciples, 
We've been disobedient as a church and as individual Christians. So the purpose never ends. Here at Burnt Hickory uh, is our goal uh, here to make disciples that make disciples. Making disciples, always going, always baptizing, always teaching and repeat. You're never through with that task. You don't finish it. You don't cross the bases and hit home and say, I'm done. I won a disciple. I made a disciple. I'm done. It's a continuous process. We're to be making disciples, the disciple-making disciples that make disciple-making disciples that make disciple-making disciples. It's multiplication. It's not addition. We're to do that. And if we're not doing that, if others aren't being reached, if others not being discipled, we have been disobedient to this command. And so our kids ministry, our children's uh, ministry, especially where we are right now. What a great example Pastor Aaron was of a disciple maker, of reaching children and families and discipling those youngsters uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, even at a young age, to commit their life to Christ and what it means to grow in a disciple. And it's also our job, parents, to help you, to equip you to disciple your kids in the home. It's not just the church's job to do that. It's your job in the home to disciple your children. Same thing with students, to reach, to reach the students. Students reaching students, discipling them, seeing them baptized, and also equipping parents for you to disciple them in the home, for you to make disciples in the home. Adults, we try to do this in a variety of ways. Our life course, our life groups on Sunday mornings uh, or Sunday, we have a group that meets on Sunday uh, afternoon. Our goal there is to make disciples, not just to have a good Bible study or to teach a good lesson, is to make disciples, to gather as community, to connect with one another, other believers, to be accountable for spiritual growth, to listen to God's word and how to apply it to our lives. How are we gonna grow as a Christian? Our life courses on Wednesday nights that start back on the 12th, uh, they're, they're designed to fit the different areas of markers of spiritual growth, uh, in a disciple's life. And so the courses that we have, they're available on the website. You can go ahead and register, look at that. Is the intent is to help you grow spiritually, for you to be a strong, healthy disciple, to encourage and equip you to make other disciples. It's not just the course to take, you've done that. And what's next is to help you grow spiritually, to be a better and a healthy and effective disciple of Christ. Our mentoring ministries with the men's ministry and the women's ministry and the men marriage mentoring ministry. That's making disciples. That's developing disciples, coaching, mentoring, discipling. That is discipling. You're making disciples. We've even got the men's and women uh, have a disciple, a one-on-one -on -one discipleship option for men and women to come alongside uh, new converts, new Christians that are baptized to help them get grounded uh, in their faith, to get a good start uh, of their Christian discipleship uh, journey. And so if you'd like to participate uh, in that, you can let me know or our, our men's ministry or women's ministry uh, leadership to help you get on a one-on-one -on -one discipling relationship to help other Christians to grow and to learn how uh, to make disciples. Even our worship, what we're doing here this morning, helps you to make disciples. Because we, as I said earlier, we're the gathered church. We're the church gathered today for corporate worship. We're assembled together to worship. Uh, Christians worship God. And so worship, uh, we, we, we learn how to worship. We worship the one true God. We worship Jesus and lift him high. And that's why we're here today. But we're here today to worship God because what, he, not only because of who he is, but what he's done in our lives during this past 
week. If you haven't experienced God or worshiped God individually this week, how can you worship him together today if you have not worshiped him during the week? It's a daily, it's a daily process. John MacArthur says that worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. And so we celebrate and worship how God has revealed himself to us through Christ and we give him praise for that. So making disciples involves two functions, winning people to life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and growing people into the likeness of Christ. That is what being a disciple is. We're growing in the likeness of Christ. We go to make disciples. We reach them. We invite them to church. We invite them to life group. We share with them in their home, share the gospel with them before they even step foot in a church. We want them to come to church. So are you inviting? Are you sharing? Are you going? And that leads us to the process of making disciples, the going, the baptizing, the teaching here. That's the process. So the priority of that, of that process is the going. We're to go to them. We're to go as you're going or as you have gone. The Greek word here uh, for to go uh, in, in the Greek uh, word is poor you oh my. Poor you oh my. It means it's to go. It's a verb. It means as you are going or having gone. So as you, what it means is as you leave this place, it's not as you come to church, make disciples. It's as you go, make disciples. As you're going through life, as you go home from this place, in your home, in your neighborhood, your neighbors, as you go to work, kids, students, as you go to school, the people that you encounter, are you being a witness? Are you going? Are you sharing the gospel? So it's as you go, you're scattering seed. As you go, you're making disciples. You're reaching, you're sharing. You don't have to have them to come to church to hear the gospel. That's our job outside the church. It's great to invite them to come to church. It's great to invite them to come to worship. It's great to invite them to come to life group. We should be doing that. But it's a command for you as the individual members of the body of Christ to go. And so if you're going, our church is going. So that's the priority. The next, the baptize in this process, that represents the people. It says to baptize them. Those are the people that have been reached. Those are the people that you've gone to, that you've shared Christ with, that have heard the word of God, surrendered their hearts and lives to Christ. The first act of obedience is you baptize, uh, that you baptize them. There again, this was an easy uh, Greek word, baptizo. I said that one pretty good. Baptizo, which literally means to dip or to sink. It literally means to dip under the water. That's why we baptize by immersion. You actually go under the water. And it's symbolic. It's not a saving act. It's not a salvation act. It's an act of obedience from Christ that you identify with Christ as Lord and Savior. You, you identify with him in his death, in his burial, your burial to self and, and risen again uh, as in Christ. You're a new creation. You're a new person. It's an act of obedience because it's commanded. It says go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We had a baptism this morning, 9.30. A student, Luke, uh, was baptized 
uh, Pastor Chip had a, did a great job explaining what baptism, what baptism is. It's not a ritual. Uh, it's not required for salvation. But if you are a believer, you've accepted Christ, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and you have not been baptized, then you're being a disobedient disciple, a disobedient Christian, because that's your public profession. Baptism is your public profession that, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. We have the confession, the profession here. My name is Alan. Uh, the Lord is my Savior, and I am not ashamed. Jesus Christ is the Lord, and I am not ashamed. That's your profession of faith. It's not walking the aisle or talking to the preacher. Your actual profession of faith is your baptism because you're obedient. that's your first step of obedience as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to follow Christ in believers' baptism. Our Baptist faith and message, which is our doctrinal uh, statements as Southern, Baptist, uh, as Southern Baptist Church, it says, Christian baptism is the immersion of believer in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. So believer's baptism is the first act of obedience as a Christian, as a new believer, as a Christian. And you're saying, Jesus is my Lord. I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm not ashamed. So you may be here this morning a believer, but you've never been baptized. I encourage you to take that next step for your public profession to proclaim Jesus as Lord, as your Lord publicly and in Jesus' name. So the next in the process, going, baptizing. The third, there's the plan for making disciples and that's teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Jesus said, teach them to obey a little bit some things, no. He said, teach them to obey everything. Everything I've commanded. This is God's word. These are the words of Christ. This is what he's taught and this is what he's commanded. We don't have a right or we don't have the option to pick and choose what we're going to live by, what we're going to obey, what we're going to do. He said, Jesus said, teach them to obey every last bit of it. Everything I've commanded you, what I've taught you these last three years, you're to be, you're to teach others to be obedient to God's word. Teach them to obey. Teach the whole counsel of God, everything Christ commanded. Obedience to the word of God. Obedience to the, Jesus, the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith, the author of the truth that we're to be obedient to. So the disciple is a life of obedience to the commands of God's teachings. And we're to take the whole counsel of God in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, puts it great on the authority of Scripture and why we're supposed to teach it and what it's good for. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, not just a little bit, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it says here, if we're obedient, 
to Jesus' commands, to the teaching of Scripture, will be equipped to make disciples. But you know, obedience, obeying command, you know, that does not come naturally or easy for us as sinful human beings, does it? Obedience does not come naturally. We're, we're nat natural, our sin nature comes out, and we're disobedient first, and obedience requires discipline. You know, I've got, I've got three uh, grown children. I've got three grandchildren, uh, and I never once had to teach them how to be disobedient. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, man, it's a battle. Saying no just comes natural. We're, we're naturally selfish. Our sin nature is selfish. We want to do what we want to do. Nobody's going to tell us what we want to do. I'm going to raise our kids like I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to. That's being disobedient. And disobedient, correction for disobedience is discipline. Who wants to be disciplined? It's not fun. It's not easy. It's hard. And God does discipline his children. He's a good father. He disciplines his children. And so obedience, obedience is, a, is an act of, of surrender. We surrender to Christ. We do his will. We obey his commands. A great example of obedience for first time obedience uh, is uh, in Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter five, uh, where in Luke's account of the first calling of disciples of, of Simon, Peter, Andrew, uh, in that crew, it says Jesus was teaching on the lake of the shores of Lake Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, whatever region you're from is what that's called. And said Jesus was teaching a great crowd of folks that were pressing in on him, and he was running out of room. He comes up on the shore, and they said these fishermen were there washing and mending uh, their nets, and Jesus goes up to Simon and said, "Hey, can I get in your boat a little while? Go out to continue teaching the people." And Simon said, "Sure." He lets them in. He goes out, and it says, and Scripture says, when Jesus finished teaching. He turned to Simon and said, okay, now let's go out into the deep water for a catch. And Simon's response there, probably, you know, he didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to him. He says, Lord, he said, we have fished all night and we haven't caught anything. I mean, he was defeated. But what he says, what we can learn about obedience here, this is before he surrendered to be a disciple, before his calling as a disciple. He said, but because you say so. He said, but because of your word, I'll do it. That's obedience. Because you say so. They say that's bad parenting advice because I said so. But hey, Jesus said it in the power of his words. Literally the words that came out of your mouth, I will do it. Because you say so. And that's obedience. Not, we can question, okay. It's okay to ask questions or get clarification. We may not understand it, understand it. But we have to accept it because it's the words, it's the commands of Christ. And so wrapping up the Great Commission, the passion for passion for being obedient to the Great Commission, doing the Great Commission is the Great Commandment. So our passion for the Great Commission, our passion for disciple making is our heart for God. The passion that we have for God, the passion that we have, the love that we have for Christ in our hearts, that's what drives us and makes it able to make disciples and to be obedient. I've already read the great commandment, but in Matthew 22, it says, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with everything you have, we're to love God. We're to love God wholeheartedly and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
love others unconditionally. And so here the priority is to love God first. We have to love God more than anything else. Nothing else is to have priority in our life before our love for God, for our love through Christ. Nothing. Your work, your job, your family, your children. Does that mean we don't love our children? No, it doesn't mean you love your, don't love your children. It means nothing else can come before God. You love God wholeheartedly first. And then you can love your kids like God wants you to love your kids. You can love your neighbor like God wants you to love your neighbor. And if we don't love God, we're not going to love people. And if we don't love God, we're not going to care about our neighbors, whether they're going to hell or not, or whether they know Jesus. We've got to be obedient to the command to love God wholeheartedly. Second, it's like if we don't love God wholeheartedly, we can't love our neighbor. We can't love one another. And that's a sign of disciple, being a disciple is we love one another as Christ loved us. So what's your passion this morning? Are you loving God wholeheartedly? Are you loving God unconditionally? Now to get to those four gaps I left in the middle of your outline, this is your four takeaways. And here, in, at least in adult ministries, what we consider signs or characteristics of a disciple, an obedient disciple of Christ, a great commission Christian, a great commandment uh, Christian is four characteristics. One is the great commandment. We're to love the Lord. We're to love God with everything that we have. The second one is we're to live the word. We're to live the word. And we can't live the word if we're not reading the word, if we're not studying the word, if we're not memorizing the word, if we're not, we're not applying the word to our lives. Several years ago, Lifeway, uh, did a study of, again, church attenders, and they found out that uh, most church attenders weren't reading their Bibles on a daily basis. Basically, within the last two weeks, church attenders had not even picked up their word or read their Bible in the last uh, two weeks. But what they found out from this uh, research is those that exhibited a growing qualities or characteristics of a growing Christian was that they, they read their Bible every day. They read their Bible every day. And so that's a significant marker uh, that we have that uh, if you are in the Bible, you are growing spiritually. That's a marker of spiritual maturity as if we're reading our Bible every day. And so I encourage you in this new year, year to read your Bible every day, not just when you come to church. Read your Bible every day. There's a lot of reading plans out there. Read the Bible through a year or other plans like that. Pastor Matt shared, he's doing one in one year uh, Bible. I can give you resources. There's all kinds of great, great reading uh, plans to encourage you to be in God's word daily. And then if you miss a few, to get back in it, to catch uh, back up, but not only to read it, not only to read it, but to apply it to your life. The next one is a, a growing Christian is going to serve the body. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. You've been gifted to serve. You've been gifted to minister. And so you haven't been gifted to, to, to sit. You've been gifted to serve. And so that's just not volunteering what you do every now and then. But what are, what are you called? What are you gifted to do as you're part of the body of Christ? You're called to serve the body. And then we're, lastly, we're to live missionally. We're to live missionally, the great commission and the great commandment. It's God who has, has called us to live missionally, to go, 
to go to the othermost, to go to all people groups, to go to our neighbors, to go to our community. And if we're not going, if you're not sharing, we're being disobedient. You've got to live missionally according to the Great Commission. You know, in Acts 1 8, the commission there is where to be, where to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We're to be faithful to, to go to Jerusalem first. Our Jerusalem is where we are, Burnt Hickory, our community, our city, our county. That's our Jerusalem. And if we're not going or willing to go and be witnesses in our community, how can we go? to any other place on this earth if we're not being faithful where we are. If we can't be faithful enough to go across the street to share with our neighbor, to develop a relationship with our neighbor, how are we gonna be able to go somewhere else? That's first priority is to reach our community. Then we can go to the uttermost part, but we have to be faithful where we are first. So where are you this morning? Are you a Great Commission Christian? Are you an obedient Christian? Are you a going Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a believer, a follower of Christ? Are you a disciple? You may come to a point today and say, you have not surrendered. You have not committed your heart, your life to Christ. I invite you to do that today. To say, Jesus, you are Lord. And I want to be baptized. I want to be a follower. I want to love you with my whole heart. You can fill out the next steps online. I'll be down uh, front and some others, our, our decision uh, encouragers will be there to pray with you, to help you through this process. So Father, we pray that you help us as we consider your word this morning. Father, convict us by your spirit. Father, help us to see where we are according to your word. Are we, are we obedient? Do we love you with everything that we have? Do we love our neighbors? Are we going? Father, help us to surrender to you our hearts and lives this morning. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening, and hey, stay tuned by subscribing, and stay up to date by downloading the Burn Hickory app.